1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Well, we're going to continue our study of biblical love. I'm going to read the passage of Scripture up to the point where we currently are. And this week, our verse is verse 6. So I'll read 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes these words. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for, this, for these words. Pray that you will orient our hearts to be receptive of your word. I know, Lord, that we will come in with distractions and other things on our minds, but I pray, Lord, that we will focus our attention and our desires on becoming more like your son. And we want to have a love that is more like his. And this morning we see that love does not rejoice in evil, but love rejoices in the truth. And I pray that this church, these people, uh, will do that uh, as we hear your word, Lord, but then when we leave this place, we will go out and rejoice in truth as well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like for you to imagine a courtroom where a witness comes forward and takes the stand. And you've probably seen this in various forms and maybe even on television or something where he, he comes forward and he swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help him God, right? And he's been called to testify because only he has seen certain events, events that were hidden to everybody else. And when he speaks the truth, it means that he is affirming with his mouth reality, the way things really are, the way things really happened, the way things happened that had been hidden from other people up to that point. And so his words that he speaks there on the stand, they agree with reality. That is truth. If he were to take the stand and affirm what is not reality, what didn't really happen, that is falsehood, and that is evil. Now, I want you to think of that courtroom as an analogy for all of life. What God made the world to be, what he made it to function like, that is reality. That is the way things really are. And the reality that God made is good. The way relationships are supposed to function, that means the way that husbands and wives are supposed to treat one another, the way that children are supposed to respect their parents, the way that people in a community work and care for one another, the way that we handle our resources, the way that we are to value life. 
God designed the blueprint for the world, and we speak and we live in a way that bears witness to God's reality. That is truth. Our lives are, in a sense, to be like that person who takes the stand and bears witness to truth. That's the way that we are supposed to live. And we were made to rejoice in truth. But I think you know, just like I do, that there is a fly in the ointment in that. There's mud in the water. There's a virus in our hearts. Sin causes our hearts to gravitate toward and delight in what God has not made as good. We find ourselves taking pleasure in the perverse, what is unjust, what is selfish, what's not right, what is dishonest. Our hearts have begun to bear witness to and rejoice in evil instead of the truth. Those things that do not correspond with God's good design for human beings. We start to gravitate toward those things, begin to love those things, and begin to do those things. So here when Paul says in verse 6 that love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth, he is talking about the activity of the heart. The stuff that's going on on the inside of us, the way that we see the world, the things that we begin to delight in. Because you love, you naturally love what you delight in. And up until this point, the way that Paul has been describing love has been in its interpersonal relationships, the way that we treat one another. What love does with other people and what it does not do with other people. So we've learned that love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't begrudge other people good things. It does not only think of itself. It's not easily angered. It doesn't hold on to hurts. And so he has been describing love as if love were a person. So how does love treat other people? That's what he's been talking about. But here he starts to take another angle. Love is not simply what it does. Love is also known by what it delights in. What does it desire? What does it approve of? What does it affirm? What does it rejoice in, as Paul says here in verse 6? He tells us that it delights, true love delights in truth. So he means that love will not affirm, it will not rejoice in, delight in, take pleasure in what is twisted, impure, unholy, evil. It cannot do those things. It cannot delight in those things. Not genuine love. And there is a kind of misshapen view of love in our culture where we're told that love, true love, is affirming everybody's feelings, everybody's choices almost without exception. So if you do not affirm them as they follow their hearts, you're actually hating them, not loving them, even if they are choosing to rejoice in what is evil. This is not love. We need God's Word to reorient us, to begin to think rightly again. 
Genuine love, the kind that God is and the kind that God gives to us, only delights in what is true, what affirms the realities of his good design. Love cannot rejoice in evil. That's what Paul is clearly saying in these verses. And because you're in church today, I'm going to assume that most of you here would never really think of yourselves as delighters in evil. Those who take pleasure in unrighteousness. No, surely not you and surely not me. But you need to understand that as long as you're in this body, there are forces at work inside of you. Forces at work inside of you. Sin. It's like a cancer, a disease that's in there, infiltrating every little direction that it can to try to draw you away from delighting in what is good. So there are forces inside of you, but there's also forces outside of you in the world, spiritual forces, and just the world itself that's always tempting you and saying, come, be like me. It's much more enjoyable over here. I think we know that those forces are out there, do we not? Or maybe you're sitting there thinking, how? Tell me more. Well, I'm glad you've asked. Because I'd like to press you just a little bit with the ways that your heart may be prone to rejoice in evil. I've got three ways I want to present to you. And I hope that one of these will be kind of a rock in your shoe that won't allow you to rejoice in evil any longer but begin to rejoice in the truth. First way, first way that we are tempted or prone to rejoice in evil. Love does not rejoice in any wrongdoing, no matter who it happens to. Love does not rejoice in any wrongdoing, no matter who it happens to. Have you ever heard of some sort of bad thing that happened to somebody and inwardly you rejoiced. Bad news came, you heard it about somebody out there and maybe you didn't smile like the Grinch on the outside, but on the inside your heart smiled just a little bit. A person maybe that you don't get along with in your family, maybe it's somebody at work, maybe an old rival from high school, maybe more broadly even, maybe a public figure, some Hollywood star, maybe an athlete, whoever. Something bad happened to him, and your day just got a little bit better. Found that you had a little extra pep in your step. And maybe even you decided you would send that person a message to say how sorry you were for what had happened. You had heard And it grieved your heart. But you know deep down inside that not all of you is sorry. Matter of fact, most of you isn't sorry at all. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. Why are we told this? It's because we are prone to do that very thing. Now, we don't go around admitting it to everybody, like how happy we are when bad things happen to others, but inwardly we know 
Occasionally, bad news comes, and secretly, we delight. But love cannot rejoice in anything, anything associated with evil, no matter who it happens to. Why is that? Because love, the type of love that we're talking about here in 1 Corinthians 13, is God's love. God's love that is given to us. And we begin to love like He does. Christian love, as we think of it then, should be God's love. Not Hallmark love, not, not just Christmas card love, not sentimentality, not the Hallmark channel even. Lots of good stories, I'm sure, out there. We're talking about God's love here that he gives to his people as his spirit indwells their hearts. And God does not rejoice in evil. He's never looked down on earth, witnessed evil, and smiled at it. His heart is never left for joy when seeing something sinful happen. Even in the death of his son, He was pleased with Jesus' obedience, dying for his church. That pleased him. He was not pleased with the evil intentions and actions of those who did kill him. So God does not rejoice in the evil itself. Only He only delights in what is pure, and he only delights in what is holy. And if we are being made into his image and his spirit is inside of us, then we will only love what is holy and pure as well. And so maybe this week, you will have the opportunity to rejoice in the misfortune of someone else. And my hope is that this text will convict you at that time and lead you away from delighting in that evil and focus your heart only on rejoicing in the truth. That's number one. The second way that we're tempted to delight in evil that maybe we don't often think about is that love takes no pleasure in talking about evil. Maybe you've heard something like this. You all pray for Betty Sue. She started sleeping with the maintenance man in her apartment complex. You know, the really muscular guy. To which you might say, you know, I can't pray very effectively unless you tell me a bit more about the situation. Start from the beginning, please, and don't leave anything out. Gossip. Chewing on the juicy morsels of evil information and gaining pleasure out of that discussion is not Christian love. Love grieves over evil. Love mourns its existence. It takes no pleasure in even allowing evil to pass through the lips. doesn't even want it to come out of my mouth like, I don't even want to say this. But we've been conditioned by the sin that's inside of us and the sin around us to take evil far too lightly, where it's possible to have a jolly back and forth about the carnage that it's causing in the lives of those around us. And so here in this situation with Betty Sue, whoever Betty Sue is, the moment that you hear about this woman's fornication out there with the maintenance man, love will be repelled 
by this sin. Not drawn toward it. Not enticed by it. Doesn't want to delve further into it and knock it around a bit more. Not Christian love. Sin is of utmost seriousness to God. He takes it very seriously. His son came and suffered a miserable death in place of us for our sins. That's how seriously he takes it. It is not a subject that should be taken lightly or spoken of with any sort of pleasure around the water cooler at, at work, right? Like you just can't wait to come and hear what happened over the weekend. What evil did your coworkers take part in? So the next time, the opportunity to speak casually of somebody else's sin comes knocking on your door, and it probably will pretty soon. Will it not? My, heart, my hope is that your heart will be pricked by this text and take no pleasure in speaking any further than necessary about that evil. Because there are times when we must speak about evil things. In fact, Scripture speaks of evil things. And we all deal with evil things. But we have to guard ourselves and begin to train our hearts to have a new habit of recoiling at any sin and any evil rather than taking any delight in it. And certainly not speaking eagerly of it with other people. One more. Love takes no pleasure in evil as entertainment. Your heart was made to be moved by stories. Have you noticed that? We love good stories, do we not? Our hearts are naturally moved by them. And there are some people out there who delight in evil in prominent places who understand that, maybe better than so many Christians do. They understand how to capture you is with story. And so they make these stories and they put them on the big screen and maybe on the screens inside your home and they use the power of those stories to mold your heart into something that loves evil or at the very least is willing to give evil a pass. Evil becomes normalized by the characters that you start to connect with in some way. The characters who love good, the characters that are holy, that delight in good things, how are they often represented in those stories? They're killjoys, are they not? Often they're bigots, they're hypocrites, nobody to admire, nothing to draw you to them. And those who take part in evil, what are they characterized like? They're the people that are misunderstood, persecuted, warm, caring. And over time, as we watch those stories and connect with those characters, our heart begins to change. And in those moments, we're being discipled, whether we know it or not, not by God's word, but by God's enemies, all in the form of our nation's favorite pastime, which is entertainment. You need to understand that your heart is very vulnerable here. 
whether you know it or not. And no, maybe you aren't completely changed into a person who delights in evil, but maybe you are being changed. And I think this is probably more the case. You are being changed into somebody who is numb to it. You just don't feel the weight of evil anymore. The stories have calloused you. Or sin is no longer serious, but something to have fun with even. Or maybe even to call art. That's what so many people have done with the theater and with movies. I'm watching art here and I'm analyzing it, making it sound like it's a lot more than you really are, when in fact you were sitting down and you were enjoying evil. So brothers and sisters, we have to be careful because these stories do have a real effect on our hearts. In past centuries, the thought that Christians could go and watch worldly entertainment, specifically the plays, the movies of their day. That was a scandal. It was a scandalous thought. It was a scandal in Christian communities because those playhouses only delighted in evil. That's all they did. They never represented anything good or godly. That's not what drew the crowd, but sin does. Sex does. What is unholy draws the crowd, and they knew that. But those places, they only would scorn the name of God and break the commands of God, and everybody would rejoice in it as entertainment. I've told you a little bit about John Newton over the last several months. He wrote a lot of letters to a lot of people, and he wrote a letter to a particular Christian woman who he had heard had been going to the playhouses. Now, he'd heard this, and he just wanted to verify, like, hey, I just want to write you this to find out, to ensure that this wasn't true because this will shame the name of Jesus out there. And she writes back to him and assures him, no, I haven't been going to those places. So he writes her a follow-up letter again and says, I'm so glad to hear that's not what you're doing. And I want to read you part of what he says to her because I do believe that we can benefit from his wisdom here. And so concerning worldly entertainment, this is what John Newton writes. The gospel opens a source of purer, sweeter, and more substantial pleasures. We are invited to communion with God. We are called to share in the themes of angels. The songs of heaven and the wonders of redeeming love are laid open to our view. The Lord himself is waiting to be gracious, waiting with promises and pardons in his hands. Well then, may we bid adieu to these perishing pleasures of sin. Well, may we pity those who can find pleasure in those places where God is shut out, where his name is only mentioned to be profaned, where his commandments are not only broken but insulted, where sinners proclaim their shame as in Sodom and attempt not to hide it, where at best wickedness is wrapped up in a disguise of delicacy to make it more insinuating, and nothing is offensive that is not grossly and unpolitely decent. Now, I do believe that what Newton is describing here of the playhouses in the late 1700s, could it not be said of what we view on our screens, where God's name is only mentioned to be profaned, and his commandments are not only rejected, they are insulted. Everybody delights in evil. 
And we sit down and we call it entertainment. Love does not rejoice in evil. So brothers and sisters, I would say that this last one here is probably the one that carries the most weight with the people who are in this room. We need to be very careful of what we take into our eyes and into our ears. And watch out that we don't just give it a pass and call it art. At some point along the way, I noticed that movies became film. Film sounds so much more higher class. But what are on those films? Do you watch films that delight in goodness? Or those who make them rejoice in holiness that shape you to want more holiness? Or do you watch films, movies, that might cause you to rejoice in evil? And I know that you probably think that you're above that and that you've always got your guard up. You're being discipled, whether you know it or not. Love does not rejoice in evil. Let me take the opposite side of this text for a moment before we close. We made it pretty clear that love does not rejoice in evil, certainly not openly in any way, but it doesn't enjoy it in any way inwardly or secretly either. Love can't be entertained by evil. Well, what does love do? Love delights to affirm what God says is good wherever it is found. Wherever it is found. Even when you find that good in those that you do not like and might even call your enemies, love will delight in it. It recognizes the good that God has made. It sees it out there in other people. It sees it out there in the world. He has designed it as this particular thing. It's good. And love is drawn to it. It wants to acknowledge it. it wants to approve it. it. wants to rejoice in it. We were made to call good what God calls good. And Christ came to restore our hearts to a place where we would no longer take any pleasure in sin and only pleasure in good. Well, that's the place that he's taking us to. Do you think there are any forms of evil that you will delight in in heaven? Do you think you'll ever sit down and be entertained by evil there? You will not have one impure thought in heaven. You will not talk about the sins of other people behind their backs in heaven. You will not rejoice over the evil that you saw on your favorite program in heaven. Nobody will scoff in heaven at the person who delights in righteousness. He will not be mocked. He will be encouraged and rejoiced in. The only fuel that your heart will run on there will be what is pure and perfect and holy. Christ died for us to have all of that and more there and then. It would do our hearts good to think on such things while we are here in the now, preparing ourselves, being prepared 
for that wonderful place. And we get so used to living in a sin-stained world that we need to admit that we let our guard down here often and allow ourselves to get stained by everything around us and stained by what is in us unnecessarily. And so my encouragement for you today and for this week is that you will have your guard up and you will be watchful. Watch what comes into your heart. Watch what it rejoices in. If you see evil and have a bit of a delight in it, I hope that this text and this time together will be a check on your heart and you will bring that to the Lord. Lord, give me holy desires and holy delights. Not as what is impure in any way. I hope that you'll ask yourself the question, where has evil been allowed a place in my own heart? Where have I allowed evil in my home? Where have you begun to think of impurity as good or maybe just neutral? Nothing to worry about, nothing to see here. Where have you become more concerned with what man calls good than what God calls good? If you see those areas, you need to understand that you are bearing false witness. You're bearing false witness against what God has designed the world to be, and he calls good. So begin to think on what is holy. Put your eyes on what is holy and talk about what is holy. And ask the Lord to give you a heart that only loves purity and righteousness like his son. That is what pleases him. A heart that welcomes evil does not. And so may we, brothers and sisters, here at Cavs Church, be a people who bear witness to the truth and only love the truth. So help us, God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. Your word is meant to cut to the quick, to awaken us at dullness that is inside of our hearts, awaken us to our great need for Jesus Christ. We understand, Lord, that as we look at a text like this and begin to see ourselves as we really are, how desperately we need Jesus and the delight of Jesus is when we believe in him to put his spirit inside of us and shape and mold us to become more like him and root out the filth that is still there. Even that unseen filth that we've allowed to sit beneath the surface for so long and we've gotten used to. I pray, Lord, that you would cause us to see filth today as what it is, not make excuses for it. Not justify it in any way, but rip it out. Make us more like your son. That's what you are doing. You are preparing us for a place where we will always rejoice in the things that you do. And I pray, God, that we will begin to be a people here on earth that do that now. Give us desires like your own. And may we bear witness to truth by the way we speak in the way that we live. And I ask it in Jesus' name.
Amen.